0: uh happy to see everybody here with us today uh i am matthew hart uh ceo for longwoods we are the creators of these events um today's speaker is someone i have known for the for a few years now and i'm very happy to have catherine here with us today and i look forward to hearing her speak uh before we get started at longwoods we really do rely on the support of our member organizations and uh to make these events possible so helping support today's event is of course HEROC. Um, from Abbott, uh, Heather Bryce. From uh, CIHI, Kathleen Morris. Uh, from HealthPro, we have their new uh, president uh, joining us today, Regisento Descenza. Uh, Medtronic, we have Melisyn uh Workday, and Dio. And of course, uh, most of you would have heard by now the new organization, Healthcare Excellence for Canada. Graham Wilkes is here this morning with us. Uh, Quickly going through some housekeeping. Uh, I'm sure everybody knows this by now, but uh, you can ask your questions in the Q and A box uh, at any time, and Catherine will do her best to answer them as many questions as possible. Uh, Everyone else knows. I tend to leave my introduction short, so here we go. Catherine Galton, the show is yours.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure, and thank you, Matt, and thank thank you to Longwoods for. uh, this opportunity um you know it's interesting uh we think about the impact of the pandemic and I'm uh, I'm just uh, I think sometimes we're reminded of it by the changes um that uh that have happened to us and uh, even just looking at my pictures tells me that uh, that I had opportunity to cut my hair pre-pandemic and uh, that would be uh, that hasn't happened in a while so uh, Nice to see you all, and uh, and I'll uh, I'll just say as I start that I tend to pack my slides with materials. I always think uh, that people might want something more um, complete to take away. Uh, having said that, I w- I won't speak to uh, to all of this content. So next slide, please. Fill up. I wanted to tell you a bit about uh, who Hierarch is. I think most of you likely do uh, know that, but it's it's an interesting story, particularly in the context of of, of now, in that um, Health Insurance Reciprocal of Ontario and then its successor, uh, Health Insurance Reciprocal of Canada, was formed in Ontario in 1987 to actually address a different type of crises, uh, specifically the crises in the affordability and the accessibility of medical malpractice insurance, and this was in the mid-80s. Uh, this crisis, of course, uh, it has for the for the, the biggest consideration the human toll that it's taken, uh, but interestingly has also had uh, quite a significant impact on insurance, which I'll go through briefly uh, as we go forward. Uh, HEROC's lens on this is actually coming from support to its subscribers across uh, almost uh, the whole country. Uh, we do not operate in, uh, in Quebec, but otherwise have uh, subscribers across the country that help to, as I said, inform uh, what is happening in the system and, and, frankly, where we may be able to help. Thank you. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so just briefly, a reciprocal, and I think this is important in that uh, reciprocal is intentionally not a, one-time, a one-way relationship. And so it isn't that, uh, that the insur- there's an insurance company that offers something and says, uh, here's what you get. Uh, but rather it is a relationship between two entities in the case of Reciprocal and then among a whole host of of participating entities called subscribers. And and so it really uh, does follow that principle of the general definition of reciprocals. Uh, As I said, a Reciprocal is really a community of similar organizations, well over 700 now uh, as it relates to HEROC, all healthcare organizations, all not-for-profit in the country. Uh, governed by its members, so the subscribers uh, actually are uh, the what we would otherwise have as the shareholders or members of the organization, and they and they actually um, drive what is important for the organization. Uh, this is a uni- uniquely Canadian healthcare insurance and risk management perspective. Uh, Thirty-four years now of looking at this, uh, I'll say uh, this frequently uh, throughout this presentation. Um, but the impetus for subscribers to enter into a relationship with each other is to have good sustainable insurance, that's comprehensive, Uh, but uh, it was not uh, sufficient and it is not sufficient for our subscribers to to say, well, let's just get the claims paid. Uh, They are committed and we are therefore committed to a focus around decreasing harm and therefore creating a safer healthcare system along with our subscribers and partners. Next slide, please. Uh, HIROX Vision, again, partnering to create the safest healthcare system. Uh, We obviously do not do that alone, and you'll you'll hear uh, about uh, more of our partners as I go through this. And our mission, of course, is to provide insurance, risk management, and innovative solutions that support uh, safety and collaboration in healthcare. Our values respect integrity, care, and and service, we uh, pay great attention to living every day because we know that's important to our subscribers and, of course, to all who work with us. On, on patient safety in Canada, this is a passion of mine, one of the reasons why I was so pleased to join uh, here up four years ago. Patient safety movement in Canada started more than 20 years ago. I'll say uh, it existed in the brains of healthcare, of course, uh, healthcare professionals for much longer than that, but it became a, a movement uh, really in the, in the 90s. Much uh, has improved since we've put so much effort, so much concentrated effort into improving safety in our system, but it's difficult to show uh, that in practice really, and, and that may be a question of how we measure, um, but is also uh, an indication of how much work there is still to do. Next slide please. Uh, This is a good work uh, requisitioned by uh, CPSI and partners that uh, shows that despite dedicated efforts by healthcare providers and organizations, CPSI among them, CFHI, the former two entities now are now of course Healthcare Excellence Canada, Uh, congratulations on that, many professional colleges, governments, the CMPA, uh, lots of pan Canadian organizations and provincial organizations that contribute to this effort. And yet, despite that, uh, the, the data as, as uh, requisitioned mm-hmm. by CPSI uh, is that, uh, and the references are there, every 13 minutes and 14 seconds, someone dies in our healthcare system. Patient safety incidents are the third leading cause of death in Canada. And unintended harm occurs in Canadian hospital or healthcare setting or home care settings every one minute and 18 seconds. So, uh, as I've indicated, a ways to go on this one. Ne- next slide, please. And I think I've said this uh, before, and I'll repeat it: uh, the role uh, of, an, of a subscriber-based organization, healthcare subscriber-based organization like Curoc, is not to uh, simply re- uh, make the insurance better and pay claims, but really to prevent the harm that results in claims. Next slide. Uh, this is evidenced in our in our strategic plan, which we kicked off in January twenty twenty, uh, has been um, there for a while, but really looking at How is it that we can turn the corner on patient safety? How is it we can have efforts and show their impact? And of course, this is a big role that we would uh, have together with our partners and subscribers, the three streams of our strategic priorities, patient safety front and center, and really to leverage unique uh, relationships and data that we have over 34 years of of harm uh, and and claims in the country to, uh, to, to make that better. A service is an underlying uh, perspective and one uh, that really speaks to knowing the needs of our subscribers and responding to them. And when I say subscribers, there are people who are currently subscribers, but generally healthcare in the country. And doing that, of course, in agile and innovative ways with heavy reliance on the unique knowledge and data uh, that we have. Next slide, please. So moving into into risk, we, in looking at our data, uh, knew that we needed to really focus on what our subscribers were having as the, as the most predominant themes, uh, but also digging deep into the data to see if those uh, matched up or whether there needed to be some that we needed to bring to the top for uh, for a c- concentrated effort. And that, uh, that really did uh, result in identifying three main harms that we're seeing uh, in healthcare. These are the ones where the injuries are more severe or where they are more frequently occurring. In the case of perinatal and labor and delivery uh, claims in the history of the program very small percentage of claims about one percent if you look over the history and more than 50 percent of the costs and costs here of course are indicative of the degree of harm so those are court awards and indemnity reserves that we have. Uh, Secondly we had injuries arising from medical surgical interventions. uh, are usually usually you see uh, smaller damage awards, significant harm nonetheless, and these are more frequently occurring. Uh, coming up, and uh, and I don't know that that there had been as much concentration on this from a claims and risk and perhaps insurance perspective in the past. But injuries in mental health, predominantly um, attempted or death by suicide, you'll see. Uh, And and so much work to be done here and so many people that we need to work with who are truly trying to make a difference on that front. Uh, You'll see I've added cyber, uh, because if someone asked insurers these days, uh, what aside from medical malpractice claims are you really seeing coming up in healthcare as a risk outside of healthcare as well, of course, but in healthcare as well is the issue of cyber and I'll deal with that a little more uh, in further slides. And so those were the identified risks. We were working with subscribers on all of their risks, but also on those four predominantly, and then the pandemic. And, you know, I think this slide uh, showing data as of February 26 is really meant to impress upon us the enormity of, uh, of what's happening uh, as a result of the pandemic. Uh, you know, uh, looking at 100 and almost 113 million cases two and a half million deaths, that number's higher now as we know, and and just how quickly that occurred. Uh, I bring this just to ground us because I know you who are working in the system actually know this better than I ever will and you actually know what it means day to day on the, for the human toll and suffering that is happening uh, in our uh, society generally, but of course, in the healthcare system to our frontline staff, to those they serve. Next slide, please. So then uh, we uh, wanted to see what we would add, uh, based on subscriber need and what we were seeing in the system as areas that we should continue to focus on or have increased focus on uh, because they were risk areas arising from the pandemic. And of course, I'll just say uh, this front and center, provider and organizational burnout and stress and the human resource implications it's very hard to quantify exactly what that means from a claims and risk perspective and, and, a, and isolating its impact and harm though, there's some great work that's been done on that front. But we know, we know that, that uh, when our frontline and when our systems are stressed, patient safety is uh, negatively impacted, no question. And so uh, f- the focus on the risk arising from that is extremely important. Uh, secondly, and these are not in, in, in order of priority, um, though I would say the, the impact on providers and organizations is, uh, is, is really key. But secondly, uh, exposures to uh, coronavirus for patients, uh, family, and their personnel. So this is really around people who are, um, who are impacted by coronavirus and, 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 and COVID. Uh, by virtue of their direct exposure to it and having been suffered from it, you will know that there are multiple uh, class actions uh, in, particularly in relation to long-term care in Ontario and across the country. And so, it's really showing itself in claims. But of course, uh, the human toll of that is is so very significant. Uh, thirdly, exposures related to uncertainty as to who is doing what and under what authority. What we've seen in this system, of course, is um, is a coming together of healthcare and society generally to really uh, put maximum effort toward uh, controlling the impact of this this pandemic. And and sometimes when we get um, that much effort, the ideas about who's doing what, who's notifying patients, who's giving notification of potential exposures uh, and test results, those are just examples. Uh, sometimes those can get lost in the effort because we're so very key, uh, keen toward making a difference that, that the details about who's doing what can get lost. So a lot of focus for us on, on really making sure that parties who are coming together understand what the other is doing. Uh, of course, there have been all kinds of matters in their human rights and charter freedom type issues around visitors' policies, travel between jurisdictions. Those are really showing themselves exposure is related to new providers we we've tapped every aspect of our system retired people students uh, the public in general to uh, to address uh, the pandemic and sometimes of course in the frequent in the speed to get to having those people be involved things like uh, orientation and uh, and policies and those things cannot be uh, are not as front and center and so you sometimes you might see exposures related to that exposures related to new ways of delivering care Uh, you know I'll we'll talk about this but the fact that we are now able to provide care virtually some would say uh, that's an excellent uh, example of where you should not lose the impact of a crisis and when it when it is positive in relation to innovations and yet of course the move to get there quickly to do things uh, that, uh, that decrease the impact on patients so that we continue to deliver care uh you know sometimes that that can, you can see new exposures arising from that uh information access and disclosure implications um uh, you know uh, it's interesting i don't know that we would have thought that a student in a healthcare program would be in their home office uh, using their laptop to participate in care with a patient and so of course we the attempt is to do that very safely but um, but not all of the details can, uh, can always be covered off. And so uh, if you think about just that example, the potential on these, to, on these uh, for inappropriate access, not of course by the student, but by others, uh, might, uh, might come forward and, I, and, and the student piece is just an example. We have people in all types of locations providing care uh, and doing that very quickly. Exposure is related to new roles in assisting the community. So the move uh, in Ontario and and, uh, and Alberta and Manitoba, Saskatchewan, all over the country to have, in Nova Scotia, to have um, acute care now working in shelters, in uh, other ancillary sites, in hotels around the delivery of care, and in long-term care. The role in uh, PPE sterilization and distribution these are all new potential exposures, all necessary work, but all potentials exposure, potential exposures. And one we're really tracking is this potential exposure related to delayed diagnosis and treatment. Um, the numbers on this are staggering. If you look at the number of, of, of um, mammograms that would have been done proactively uh, throughout the period of the pandemic compared to the year before, uh, it's just an example of how, you, how there may well be uh, uh, diagnoses that, uh, that are missed or, or, or are late in being diagnosed. And so that's an exposure that we don't know uh, exactly how that's going to look yet. I think we'll see the impact on patients uh, very, uh, very soon, but, but that's uh, an information coming one, but a very significant area. And just over recent um, months, of course, we've moved into all of these pieces around vaccine delivery and decision making related to exposures. You know, is it 41 days between the first and second dose? Uh, where is the order coming from? Uh, what about now when it's four months? And 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 how is that uh, that backed up? What about prioritization, particularly at the end of the day when you haven't been able to have patients in? And, uh, and there's uh, vaccine left over. Just huge issues uh, on this front. And lots of uh, pieces around contract related exposures. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're entering into leases for hotel spaces. Um, we are um, doing things uh, outside the context of the systems that we usually r- operate in. Uh, interestingly, we have a situation where Uh, some students in the country uh, now are coming to uh, institutions without the benefit of of coverage for uh, communicable disease related exposures. And so uh, that's a contract to have students, for example, where some of the protections that we may have put in there may not actually be uh, as fulsomely available as they would have been in the past. And finally, cyber. So we added cyber because already uh, in 2019 and, and 18, We were seeing a ramp up of this as a potential exposure and I'll say that has just been exacerbated massively uh, in the pandemic so so much more use of of the virtual frames of course Mm -hmm. with more sensitive data being uh transmitted and I don't know uh, more people with time to actually do this hacking but a very significant um uh, potential breaches are in relation to uh, confidential uh, information, personal health information, but also uh, quite uh, heavy exposure on the financial side of the house, where uh, where very innovative uh, hackers are uh, are having us direct money in uh, in places where they are not intended to go. Next slide, please. This is a list. I won't go through it of of the questions that we are receiving from healthcare. So many of these I've covered and and you'll see some change of them from the first period of March to August, 2020. And then after September, 2020, really uh, lots of issues around um, redirection and deployment of staff uh, and uh, student placements, as I mentioned, and of course, coming in now really heavily, all of those risks and liabilities and potential harms as a result, uh, resulting from what is a great thing, which is the administration of the vaccine, but uh, but a new a new uh, potential exposure there. Next slide, please. I just wanted to deal briefly with you to give you some information on what's happening in um, in insurance and related markets. Um, we were finding that even before the pandemic, the medical malpractice and healthcare uh, property related uh, coverage market. Was entering what the insurance market calls a hard market uh, and, uh, and now it is officially a hard market. There is no question about whether it is or isn't. Uh, ha- getting insurance uh, for medical malpractice and healthcare property related uh, issues uh, without a COVID exclusion, uh, very difficult to find uh, in an affordable way, uh, very difficult to find. Lots of issues around the fear of, uh, of uh, increasing number of class actions and what those mean, uh, because there are so many plaintiffs, what they mean in, uh, in relation to the, um, the degree uh, or the amount of money that might be uh, called into play if liability is found in that environment. Uh, as I said, COVID and communicable disease exclusions, uh, this is particularly the case for long-term care, but other areas as well, uh, acute care, mental health, Addictions, uh, you know, uh, frankly, taxi drivers are having difficulty uh, getting covered that doesn't have a communicable disease exclusion, home care. Uh, so this is a this is a big impact uh, for healthcare in the country. Uh, we at we are very um, happy that we do don't have that exclusion uh, from coverage. Um, But uh, it it is nonetheless a a real issue, uh, particularly also on the reinsurance side as it relates to us. So again, uh, not one that we've had to deal with. Uh, Business interruption coverage, uh, all of those lost income, uh, unable to use space type claims um, are really worrying the insurance sector. There's some significant decisions out of London and significant issues pending in Canada on that regard in that regard that may actually um, uh, have uh, insurers paying more and so there's a big concern there. Uh, Cyber uh, coverage, uh, again, uh, because of how it has become such a significant issue, insurers are very concerned about the liability there. Uh, This has not been an area where there have necessarily been massive premiums charged and therefore the losses as against premiums, we call the loss ratios, are very high in this area, so you see worry there. There's some restrictions in the market for opioid uh, type exposures as well. That's largely because many of these insurers are based in the US, and of course, there is uh, significant exposure there. Next slide, please. So I wanted to just get uh, briefly into some consideration and potential controls on liability generally, but in this area. Um, It's interesting to contemplate what courts and plaintiffs uh, may think is the standard of care during a a pandemic. So the standard of care is not necessarily the same during a a pandemic as it is pre-pandemic because it is very much determined by what 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 is reasonable in the circumstances. And so that piece around what was necessary to control the pandemic and to adequately care and appropriately care for patients will really come into play based on what was happening in the pandemic. So those will be questions that we really see come forward uh, uh, as, we, as we see litigation coming. And some of the of courses I've said, we've already seen in class actions. Emergency and public health legislation may have some liability control. So if you're acting pursuant to orders or, or uh, you know, that were directed at controlling the pandemic, that may be uh, some level of defense. Some jurisdictions have specific immunity legislation, Ontario particularly does, um, as does BC uh, and uh, and Nova Scotia, not legislation in their context, but but orders that, that may have some of the same effect. Uh, contractual ar- arrangements can be an important liability control. We talk in this context about whether you're getting an indemnification under contracts, uh, but I would say that probably The best liability control is for each party to know who is responsible, what they are responsible and and to have great clarity on that. The clarity is actually the piece that will say, that will stop you from getting to a claim versus having to address it uh, after something has occurred. And very important to document, document decisions and the context for decisions. So that that factor of what the circumstances were can be brought into play. And I would say, you know, um, we have something about, uh, do not be uncertain alone, Uh, seek advice uh, in this area. And and there are many uh, resources for that, of course. Next. Um, Some of the things, um, you know, arising from the pandemic that we would say, you know, do use, um, most of you will have enterprise and integrated risk management structures that you had in place before the pandemic and processes ensure that you're really using that as a model to look at what you need from an oversight perspective, both at the governance level and at the leadership level and processes that you've put in place for for those closer to the front line. Uh, Interestingly, uh, what we have sometimes as questions in healthcare is uh, how do the models that we use for for integrated risk management or enterprise risk management um, uh, apply in the context of patient care? And many of the tools that are there uh, will not necessarily highlight those as the most important piece. And what I'd say is we need to remember the business we're in. And if you're looking at an integrated or an enterprise risk structure that doesn't predominantly show care or risk to patients or others that we serve, uh, then then that's a lens we need to apply. But that structure, when it is in place, gives a framework through which to really look at these risks. People say, well, you know, no one's ever going to sue healthcare because we are so appreciative of, of of what healthcare is doing, and of course that is true. That we are appreciative, we will continue to be appreciative. Uh, those of us just uh, just close to you, but not actually, um, you know, delivering care, are so thankful. Uh, the country is is thankful for this, but you'll remember that litigation will come four or two or three years uh, down the road if it comes and that that goodwill may not always play a part when claims materialize and and compensation is required. Uh, I mentioned this a bit earlier, but fast decision-making is appropriate in our context and required in in a crisis. And we'll need to be very careful to not say what was entirely appropriate during a pandemic continues to be appropriate delivered in the same way post pandemic. So um, virtual care, we should should seize that opportunity. We should uh, apply what we've learned uh, to how we deliver healthcare in the future, but very important to really uh, look at it from uh, putting the controls in place that need to be there, looking at it from a privacy perspective even more uh, intently than we have so far. So just to transition those learnings appropriately. I've mentioned before importance of keeping records of all of your interventions and decisions. Uh, we make them quickly, but uh, but I think our structures around command tables and those pieces are key to use to document those pieces. Uh, contractual un, uh, arrangements are key. Uh, seeking advice, legal and risk, to never uh, never be uncertain alone. Uh, I think we we us is our mantra, and uh, and certainly for HEROX subscribers, we're here, and I'll give you a resource for uh, some of HEROC's generally available um, risk advice uh, at the end. And and look, I'll just say it again, increased diligence on the cyber front, that cannot be be overstated. Next slide, please. Our priorities as HEROC will be to uh, not lose the focus on those pre-pandemic issues that I I referred you to that are really focused on harm to patients and, and, and how we can prevent those uh, we will, of course, sub- support subscribers with coverage and risk issues that arise from the pandemic. We are really looking to also analyze the effects of the pandemic on claims and on risk and coverage to make sure that the products that we deliver and the service we deliver is comprehensive for our subscribers. We will work uh, with our subscribers as you try and transition some of those learnings uh, from the pandemic, virtual care, I'll keep using as just an example, one example, into the, uh, into the post-pandemic period and maintain uh, collaborative work with others. And we have seen during this uh, that that while healthcare is coming together, uh, we are also seeing that those organizations that support healthcare are coming together to really uh, move, uh, really take some things off the plate of healthcare uh, that doesn't need to be there if we can actually handle it. And so I referenced some here, government, CMPA, um, provincial health organizations, the OHA in particular, and Healthcare Excellence Canada and always uh, with support for subscribers on steroids. So how are we going to turn the corner on patient safety? Uh, we mentioned the impact on the frontline and on patients throughout the pandemic and I think if we keep that as the very clear lens that we want to bring forward then uh, we will turn the corner on patient safety. So caring for people and the relationship building. Uh, understanding the needs of those we serve in a real way uh, through, through their voice uh, will, be, will be absolutely key and, and so much wonderful work happening on that front. We do see differences across Canadian jurisdictions in response to the pandemic and generally, and we think that really does give us a lens to say what worked well somewhere else, what worked well here that we can, uh, can transfer for learnings in other jurisdictions. Um, Everyone has been working very hard to do what is right in this context and what they believe to be most effective for for our our citizens, Uh, but they've done it differently and and there are are definitely things that we would say you could just take that from Newfoundland and that from British Columbia and that from Ontario and meld them together, you would actually have a better product, so we don't want to miss that opportunity. Uh, don't assume that everything that's happened during the pandemic should continue during normal times, but do capitalize appropriately on the innovations, as I've said. Partnerships developed should continue. I'll just say in Ontario in particular, the move to our Ontario health teams was, was underway. And what we've seen is uh, that the requirements out of this pandemic have actually brought uh, organizations together in a real way. And that, that is so important to continue and to not lose the day we say we're back to normal and and leaders and governors in our organizations are key to successful pandemic uh, management and the tradition and the transition to normal and we hope improved times and of course always use the resources that are available to you. Uh, My work during this pandemic has just uh, highlighted for me how much uh, Expertise is there? How and how much is uh, is available? Frankly, for free to to our healthcare system. And I'll stop there uh, to take any questions. Thank you so much uh, again. Uh, you know, having been part of the healthcare system as a nurse and and then uh, as a quality executive and as a lawyer, um, the what we see our healthcare system doing for us, uh, we. I'm lost for words because we should be lost for words. There is no way uh, that we can adequately thank those who are on the front line caring for us during that, during this uh, during this pandemic. So thank you, and I'll see whether there are any questions. I think um, I think I see a couple in the Q and A. Wondering how we are for time.
0: Thank you, Catherine, for that. We're pretty good for
1: time. I have just a few minutes to go. Um, while well, I let you just scan those items, there
0: was another question that came in about the role of risk management in the context
1: of patient safety. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so so I think it, it's, uh, I'll have my own view because for me, uh, risk management in healthcare um, is all about patient safety and quality of care. And, and sometimes what we find out of, out of risk management is we get additional data to support what we need to do. That's, that's one piece. And sometimes the structures around risk management can actually, will actually impact uh, patient safety, and they are intended to and in the healthcare context should do that. And so uh, really important to not see risk management as, here's how we control the money, uh, but to really look at that in a holistic way about how our systems operate more efficiently and therefore impact patients positively, and also the direct impact on what it means from a care perspective for our patients. So we, um, the lens at HEROC is always to just, is to go from patient uh, risk management as it relates to, to what we do and, and pretty quickly get to it just being an equal sign uh, to patient safety and quality of care. Um, just Rob, uh, hi Rob. Uh, We've worked together so much on patient safety in the past. Uh, The statistics you cite about patient invest from a patient perspective seem to clearly indicate that more Canadians have died from patient safety events in the last 12 months than from COVID. Um, And uh, do you have any reflections about why there's such a huge gap in sharing this vital information? And can we expect healthcare representatives politically or otherwise to talk about patient safety deaths at least once a month? I don't know about once a month, I am uh, encouraged by uh, the focus that we're seeing in national organizations uh, about patient safety and to transparency to your point, Rob. I think uh, that is is huge. Uh, Very uh, pleased to see the publication of the Canadian Quality and Patient Safety uh, Framework for Health Services uh, easily available on the Health Canada website. Uh, that of course was uh, work of a of a Canadian Quality and Patient Safety Advisory Committee formed uh, through the efforts of health of the Health Standards Organization Accreditation Canada, and CPSI, and just a really practical guide about how we take this out and really think about what we could do at different levels and, and at different uh, aspects of the healthcare system. So uh, you know, I uh, the I'll, I'll just give you a quick story. I w- when I was in Nova Scotia, we uh, were required to publish uh, patient safety events. And so how many, you know, surgical instruments were left uh, in uh, retained foreign objects, um, pressure ulcers and those pieces. And, uh, and the first month that it was published, the first quarter it was published, uh, I had, uh, I think it was 12 interviews in one day because this data hit, uh, with uh, with just such force. And then um, I didn't get asked again. and in fact, it got you know, it was published every quarter and it was less and less attention to that. And I think, you know if I'm if I'm giving my own view of this, I think that's because we want so desperately to believe that these things are not occurring in the system that we then lose focus on it. And so it is our job uh, to your point, Rob, to really, make sure that we keep this data uh, front and center. Uh, Can you extend on the value of your relationship with CPSI, now Healthcare Excellence Canada? This is just fundamental. Uh, We use uh, partnering in our our vision um, intentionally. Uh, We're not at the front line. We interact very closely with the front line and have, we hope, significant impact there. But this is not a job you do alone. And, and CPSI, now uh, Healthcare Excellence Canada, uh, have really been front and center around trying to have the transparency that we've talked about involving patients. We, you know, we don't involve patients uh, directly uh, in, in our work, but we, we actually absolutely rely on our partner organizations to, get, to help us have that perspective and to help and our healthcare subscribers to have that perspective. Work to do in the future, even for here off. but that piece. So we we choose uh, things that we work on. So uh, toolkits for leaders, um, lots of products that will we can uh, will share uh, if we can after that. Really, are getting to how do you take what you want to do around patient safety and actually make it so? Uh, if you're a leader, if you're a governor, if you're a healthcare organization that's worried about the how it is you escalate deterioration in care so that you can have a positive impact. Those are all uh, all pieces of work we've done, and we're really very much looking forward to that continued relationship with Healthcare Excellence Canada. In fact, the CEO and I have a meeting even today. So, uh, Is the sector taking proper precautions against cyber risk, or are we still behind in technology? Uh, I would say that depends. Uh, we have uh, some of, uh, of the healthcare organizations that we interact with who are, um, who are first in class on this front. I, I should say, as I go there, um, people who are experts in cyber uh, say it isn't about whether you will have a cyber event, it's about uh, when. Uh, so not about if you will, but when you will. And so the work is really to, to try and stay on top of that, to stop, um, the impact if the breach occurs, to allow yourself to be in the place to get back up and running soon. And I think some parts of that are really well managed by the system. So, so the, the ability to continue to deliver patient care has a big focus for us. And I think um, I, I think healthcare um, is getting there, but has not traditionally had to put itself in this kind of business environment about this, these other risks to the system. And so, you know, I'll say when I was a lawyer in healthcare, no one thought having contracts was very important, or none of the, the great clinical people that I worked with thought having contracts was very important. Um, and so, and and that's because that's not where our brain path is. And so, I think uh, historically we we probably relied uh, on systems that were really uh, looking to make sure we got back up and running in relation to patient care. Even some of those, of course, were not where they might have needed to be, but. Um, But I don't. I think our organizations are really getting out, uh, starting to try and get out ahead of this. We still have a huge way to go, and uh, and and we'll. I think we'll get there. But it's going to take a massive effort uh, from all of us to really feel that we are as protected as we can be, despite the. You know, it's not if, it's when, uh, but to be as protected as we can be in this area. Lots of work and lots of partnerships. To, to take to do that. Are there more questions, Philip? I there's, see There's reading. a few more questions, but I just know we're just to be, be cognizant of time, uh, respecting people's time. We have a few minutes left, so we definitely can, you can, if you, uh, you can definitely take one more of these before we close off. Okay. Oh, sorry, I just need to move my cursor down. <laughs> That's what's happening. Um, what should organizations be looking at in regards to starting in person programming post pandemic? Uh, people attending the vaccine. Massive issues here, of course, and lots of ethics and, and then lots of labor and employment issues as it relates to, um, to uh, staff who, who might, uh, who might uh, not want to be vaccinated or not wear a mask. And, and I'll say uh, these situations are very much based on, um, on what's happening in the circumstances happy to take the answer, uh, the question offline, Uh, lots of resources that are available uh, from HEROC on this point where we have published um, now 16 bulletins and three memos that really uh, talk about uh, this issue and there are no clear cut answers. So don't don't expect to go and have a slam dunk if you find this, uh, when you find this resource, but really the considerations around it. uh, how desperately does the person uh, need care? Is it even an option to deny access to care in the moment? Um, what are we looking at around the risk? So, uh, you know, as more people are vaccinated, of course, the risk for all um, is uh, is decreased. So, so lots of factors to go into this, but uh, and lots of and lots of great resources that I'm happy to share offline. Um, I'm just gonna see. Um, oh um yeah leadership uh, development i'll just finish with that one perhaps um what we've um i think you know the 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 question uh, says we've seen some leaders excel throughout the panic, uh, pandemic while others have stayed afloat um i'll say in our experience we are seeing leaders really step into this and so um i think um there are um I think leaders um, could um, really make use of some of the resources that are available. I'm always amazed that when I speak to leaders, they don't know that there's a framework for quality and patient safety, that they don't know that there's a leadership patient safety bundle that actually says, here are the questions you should be asking yourself now. And so I do think uh, there is, uh, it's, I, I don't, call it a gap I'd say it's a decision around prioritization that may not be as easy to make right now given what we're dealing with but in the future to say if your leaders and boards are not on the path or not looking like they are walking the walk of patient safety and quality then you will not see that translated throughout the organization despite the best efforts of of our staff and and other leaders so um I'll stop there I see Matt's come on as well and I want to thank you very much for this it's uh, been phenomenal. We will take uh, questions, particularly from our subscribers, but any that that you put into Matt as well, and att- and and answer them to the best of our ability offline. And again, I I'd refer you to the resource. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Catherine. Um, we 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 hear a lot about um, a number of the topics you brought up, like the the COVID and patient safety and stuff like that. But this was a very different, or maybe a. a better word, fresh perspective. Uh, So I really enjoyed that. And um, I appreciate you joining us today. And again, thank you. We will do our best to address any additional questions that you may have. Uh, Other than that, thank you, everybody, and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you. Take care.